welcome to Character Evolution Cast, a show where we discuss what to do with all those characters we just made. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan, and today my co-host Amelia and I are joined by Christine of the Unexplored Places podcast to talk about playing in spooky games. Christine, welcome to Character Evolution Cast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Do you want to tell our audience a little bit about yourself and some of the cool stuff that you're involved in? Sure. Um, uh, my name's Christine. I, uh, well, my life sort of revolves around spooky stuff. So seeing as it's currently October, I'm at the height of my power. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am the host and GM of the Unexplored Places. Uh, and in addition to that, I also do some game design, which appropriately to the season once again, uh, much of which is horror and monster and ghost themed. Um, nice. And I'm also a PhD student uh, with a research focus in queer horror. Ooh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Fascinating. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Very now, excited. One of our goals on Character Creation Cast, aside from making amazing people, is to introduce our audience to people who are doing awesome things in the RPG world. And we would be remiss if we didn't do that here as well. So let's start by getting to know you a little bit better, Christine. Um, let's start with your podcast, Unexplored Places. Uh, could you tell us a bit more about what it's about and how you got into doing it? Sure. Uh, so The Unexplored Places is an actual play podcast. Our first season, which just recently finished up, was a game of Monster of the Week uh, set in a fictional town in rural Ohio. Um, it was a, a spooky monster hunting game about a sect of monster hunters that was disguising itself as a non-denominational youth group. Um, and we're currently about to begin our second season, which is going to be a uh, sci-fi game set in Scum and Villainy. Um, how did I get into doing it? I Let's see. Um, so the group that I do the Unexplored Places with is a bunch of friends from college that I did theater with. Uh, and a couple years after graduating from college, we had kind of lost touch a little bit and we're looking for a reason to sort of get back into, um, you know, doing some stuff again together. But we're all in vastly different places and theater is expensive. And uh, <laughs> I had recently got into tabletop RPGs. And so it seemed like the sort of natural evolution out of doing theater together and into collaborative storytelling together. That's awesome. What is your favorite thing that has come out of making your podcast? Ooh, um, my absolute favorite thing is I love being surprised. I love when I have no idea where the story is going. I love when the players that I play with make like totally unexpected choices or take vastly different paths that I anticipated or have like wildly different reactions than I expected. Um, I always find that the moments where I don't know what's about to happen or think something's about to happen and the opposite happens are always the best moments. Mm -hmm. How long have you have you all been playing together? We've been playing together about two and a half years. Okay. 
just cool. wondering because I know like the longer you play together, I, I don't want to say the less surprising it gets, but the, I think the better you're able to kind of anticipate some of that. But I still love having those moments when you played with people for a, a while and you're still like, I have no idea where that came from. But mm -hmm. like, I think in a way part of it is I know better that I will be surprised, but I know less well what the surprises will be because mm -hmm. as much as we play together, we not only get to know one another better, and each other's play styles and habits and things like that. But we also like get more comfortable. And so we're better at taking bigger risks. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so we do surprise each other more because we're just like swinging wildly because we're, <laughs> we're used to it. You know, it, we're in a place where we're comfortable enough to make these big sort of really shocking or out there choices. Yeah. I really like those moments where you think too. That isn't what I thought you were going to do, but it's way better than what I ever would have come up with myself. Yes, and it always <laughs> is. And that's why I love collaborative storytelling so much. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. the story is always better than the thing I would have written if I'd been writing it alone. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So what would you say then is your favorite spooky trope to play around with in an RPG? Oh, okay. Um, I have two. The first is I'm absolutely obsessed with haunted houses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we only had one haunted house in the first season of Unexplored Places, but I've played other haunted house games with these friends and other friends since then, and I'm I'm absolutely obsessed. I love houses where weird things are happening. I love everyone getting separated and having to find each other while bad things happen. Um, I also really love the trope of like someone not knowing everything about themselves or their past or their identity and that coming back to haunt them. Mm. Um, that's a really big one for me. And then one that I've been like, I haven't yet, but I desperately, desperately want to find some way of using like the found footage horror trope in an RPG. Ooh. I don't oh. know how it would work, but I, that's like the big thing on my to-do list is to, to try to figure out how I can do that. Oh, yeah, that's that would interesting. be fascinating because you'd almost have to do it like a series of vignettes or something like that. But I don't know how you I mean, without just like narrating a game for yeah. your players, that's unless you can get them to like come up with their own. Ooh, that's yeah. interesting because, yeah, it's a thing that's I mean, is really prevalent in horror, but mm -hmm. it's really hard to do in that sort of like narrative sense. Yeah, that's my big puzzle right now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Ryan, I love that in this outline, you continually just use the word spooky it is like the most Ryan thing to do. It's like a little bit naughty. Like <laughs> you can just say horror too. I mean, I know that spooky and horror, maybe we should get into that too. Like the difference between spooky and horror. Mm -hmm. um, but I just love that you continually use the word spooky. You got to lean into it. Spooky. Lean into the spooky. It's a little spooky. I did. At least, at least I didn't do spoopy. Um, yeah, my, my son at one point kept saying it's scoopy. Which cracked me up. That's so cute. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, is there anything uh, spooky or horror related uh, that you'd like to explore that you haven't gotten to already? Aside from like the found footage thing that we just talked about. Are there any yeah. other tropes that you'd like to try out? Yeah. One of the things that I've been working with lately in some of my thinking, some of my design um, is, is thinking about the way memory works in horror. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. I have a monster of the week um, mystery that I've written and, and published for um, other people to play because I don't have enough friends to play it with um, based on It by Stephen King, 
which is a story that's very much all about memory. Um, thinking about misremembering things or things that you block out of your memory because they were too scary, too spooky. Um, and thinking about the ways that fear can bring back certain memories, things like that. That's one thing that I'm, I'm thinking about. Um, I want to do a lot more like in-person spooky games. Um, my, you know, the cast of Unexplored Places plays remotely. We're all in vastly different places. Um, and I just moved to a new city where I don't have a lot of friends to play games with yet. Um, so I've been, I've been longing after games like Dread that are like games mm -hmm. you have to play in person. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I guess the other thing that I've been wanting to explore lately, um, I've been rewatching Netflix's Haunting of Hill House, which I, I is my new October tradition. Um, <laughs> only a year old, and yet it's already a tradition. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about that sort of like melancholic family-centered horror. Um, in addition to obviously the haunted houses, which I said already I'm obsessed with, I'm thinking about um, the way horror works in sort of family circles. And I've been really looking forward to, I backed um, Quietus, a melancholic horror game on Kickstarter that yeah. should be coming out soon. So that's my like, once I get my hands on that, this is the thing I want to think about. That's amazing. Awesome. Well, now that we know a bit more about you and Unexplored Places, let's get into the core of this episode. Great. Our goal with these episodes is to help people become the best players possible at the table. With Halloween right around the corner, we want to kind of keep the theme going. So we are going to talk about playing in spooky mm -hmm, slash horror games, <laughs> um, whether you're running the game or not, and then what we can do as players and GMs and what we can bring to the table to enhance that experience for everyone involved. Mm -hmm. So let's start really basic and build from there. Uh, what can people expect when diving into playing a spooky or horror RPG? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think sort of the foundational thing here, which is going to sound like a really obvious, um, like a really cold take, and yet I think is not something that people necessarily think about. I, we can expect to be scared, right? Like, mm -hmm. we that's what we want. That's what we go into the game wanting. And that is so different, I think, from the mode in which people often play games. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to be surprised. That's pretty typical. We want to be excited. That's pretty typical. But like wanting to be scared is a separate thing. Um, mm. And I think, you know, in a lot of everyone plays tabletop RPGs differently, of course. Um, and I, you know, I like to say that I've never played any game in my life to, to win. But I think that even more so than with normal RPGs, you can't go into a, a spooky or horror RPG wanting to win. Mm -hmm. Because characters don't win in horror, even even when you know someone makes it out alive, they yeah. haven't won. They're mm -hmm. still, and you know, spooky. Maybe this is where we differentiate spooky and horror. But in horror, you know, characters leave traumatized, or even when they escape, um, it the story has complicated that success into something that isn't victory. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I think it's important in in horror games to be conscious of the fact that you can't be playing to win in that way, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, those two things work at cross purposes, the desire to, to be scared and the desire to win. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a thing that 
you have to acknowledge in basically, I think, any kind of game that isn't sort of like silly or lighthearted. That's um, a thing that I know with, with more dramatic games, too, which are the kinds of games that I like to play, is recognizing that you're putting your character in situations where bad things might happen and you have to be okay with those consequences because otherwise those decisions don't feel meaningful. Mm-hmm. And I, I think going into a horror game with that kind of knowledge, too, of like things are going to happen to my character and they're going to come out of this experience fundamentally changed and mm-hmm. being okay with that, not only as a player, like being scared, but as as for your character too, recognizing that they're going to come out different too is really important. Yeah. I would say you almost basically quote unquote win at spooky or horror games if you get scared. Yeah. While you're playing. <laughs> and because that, that's kind of the goal. And when you reach that goal, you, you basically win. Whether or not your character is fine at the end, you know, that's a different story. Yeah. Yeah. You as a player winning is very different from your character winning. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, that is, that's very true. It's a good way of phrasing it. That yes. differentiation is very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that we like to highlight very often on this show, like in pretty much every episode, um, is the use of safety mechanics and a good session zero. So I think even if you are doing a one shot, at least having that conversation at the beginning. Um, what do you think people should focus on during that session zero or that discussion at the beginning of a game um, when they are playing horror games that they might not normally do in a regular session zero? Yeah, um, I think I think it's less that there are things you think about that you wouldn't think about in a normal session zero as that the things that are stressed in that conversation might be slightly different. I think in most mm-hmm. sessions here, as we talk about what's the tone of this game, how lighthearted do we want it to be, how dramatic do we want it to be, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because there's so many types of horror, that that's an important thing to be pretty upfront about. You know, mm-hmm. horror can be anything from like what we do in the shadows, which is really funny and not that scary, but very lighthearted, to you know something pretty serious like Haunting of Hill House or like you know. I, I'm not. I'm not just going to rattle off a list of horror films, but you know what I mean. <laughs> right. um, yeah, there's a difference between like body horror, psychological horror. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. is it more of a thriller or is it more of a, a melancholic, dramatic horror? Is it? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's where that le- where you want that lens to be. Do we want the focus to be on the scary thing that's happening, on the character's reaction to the scary thing that's happening, on? the emotional relationships between the characters as they're going through those scary things Mm -hmm. or their individual journeys as they try to get through it? Or is it on the the spectacle of it? Is it on how much blood and guts can we throw on our Mm -hmm. metaphorical screen? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think tone is really key because everybody at the table needs to be buying in at the same level. Um, And so being upfront about that, I think, is key. Another thing is when you, when you know what type of horror you're working with, whether this is horror comedy, whether this is, is uh, you know, suspenseful thriller, psychological thriller, whether this is a, a ghost story, there's a, a way in which every, every horror character is a certain kind of I, – I feel like the phrase trope gets treated like a dirty word. And I want to be clear <laughs> that when I say trope, I don't mean like a cliche. I mm-hmm. mean like an, an – an, a specific type that gets used and that that could be cliche, but could also like when when wielded with care can be like a really compelling tool to use. And I think mm-hmm. that all character, all, all horror characters are in essence a, a series of tropes. And you want the tropes 
that you have to fit the tone of the game and the type of the horror game that you're playing. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't want um, Scooby-Doo to be in Saw. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but by the same token, you wouldn't want Jigsaw to be in Scooby-Doo. Right. Um, you know, there, there's a big difference between Buffy the Vampire Slayer and, say, you know, one of the characters from Haunting of Hill House. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to reference Haunting of Hill House a lot because, again, I'm currently rewatching it. So apologies <laughs> in advance. On your mind. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, you should go watch it. It's excellent. Um, so, so thinking about what type of horror you want to play lets you create characters in a way that will make them well suited to that story. Um, if you're telling like a, you know, a final girl kind of story, you want to have the right characters for that. Or you're going to run into places where you hit roadblocks because mm-hmm. the th- thing that your character is interested in isn't the thing that's getting focused on or getting played out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the third thing that's really important, as with all Session Zero's, you know, safety, setting mm-hmm. boundaries, things like that, it becomes especially prevalent in horror because horror is a, a genre where things that are often triggering or upsetting for people come up. We're talking about fear. We're talking mm-hmm. about anxiety. We're talking about trauma, you know. Um, but I think that specifically what's important is not just knowing, here's what scares me, let's not put this in. But mm-hmm. it's it's knowing the difference between um, knowing the difference between safety and comfort. Yeah. Yes. Because you want things that are going to make you uncomfortable. Yes. You want things that are going to scare you, but you don't want things that are going to make you feel unsafe. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to find that like I know there are a lot of safety mechanisms out there. I tend to find that for horror, a lines and veils system is super keyed into that because you can say, this is something I'm scared of, but it won't be unsafe. So I don't want to linger on it. You know, I don't want us to spend an entire scene in a pit full of snakes. But if Mm -hmm. there are snakes and I'm scared of them, that's okay. But, you know, I really, really like I, I will shut down if we broach the topic of certain kinds of abuse or something like that. And, Being able to differentiate between those so that you can keep yourself safe, but also not remove the possibility of discomfort from the game, I think is really key. Yeah. Sometimes it's a very fine line to walk because when you're talking about horror and talking about getting into that really uncomfortable, like scary place, it's hard to differentiate sometimes between what's what's really traumatic and what's just going to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I, I notice a lot of, uh, good things to do. You could try covering as much as you can in a lines and veil sort of way, but having kind of what, uh, sometimes called like a landmine, mm-hmm. uh, thing in play where during play, if something gets way too intense and you didn't anticipate it. Yeah, absolutely. You, you can trigger that mechanic and, and kind of say, okay, let's, let's pause for a second. Yeah. Yeah, I think having that ongoing discussion, I mean, in any game, this is a thing that we've hounded to death on this show, I think, at this point, is that, you know, communication is important. Your group is a relationship. Talk to each other. Mm-hmm. All of those things. But just a, a speaking up for yourself, I think, becomes all the more important in a situation like this where you are playing with things that are potentially uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the session zero is not the end of that that discussion. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I really like uh, I really like taking part of the session zero and highlighting things that you know are very scary and you want to experience those sorts of things mm-hmm. in the game, um, knowing that that 
you'll be prepared and be scared for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I, I'm personally afraid of heights. If I had to deal with like heights and, and picture myself in those sorts of situations, I would be very uncomfortable and very scared, but it's nothing that would be traumatic or anything like that for me. I would right. highlight that as something that you could use, uh, quote unquote against me mm-hmm. in the game to, to basically like instantly like get me into that, uh, sort of mood. Yeah. 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 I think being aware of those like, bad uncomfortable and good uncomfortable mm-hmm. things too because I think that is an important thing to say is like these are the things that do bother me in a good way too and say mm-hmm. like these are you know to give your GM those tools too yeah yeah absolutely um, so also in the same vein as a good session zero prepping for the game sometimes means controlling the ambience in the room uh, where the game is being played to help set the mood uh, so what sort of things can we do to help set a mood for a spooky game? Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, I don't frequently play in person, especially with with um, the Unexplored Places, um, which is my really my big my big spooky game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've played a lot of board games and done a lot of other spooky things. So this advice is coming less from a place of like getting your table set up and more of a place of like just generally creating like a good spooky mood. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I mean, I think that that music can be great. Um, one of my favorite board games in the world, which is called um, Last Night on Earth and is a zombie game, comes with a CD. Yeah. And just like having that like appropriately scary m- music can be excellent. Um, I love Candles. Um, and like getting the lighting, you know, light enough that everybody can see, but still dimmer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I think that being in a space that is traditionally has some association with spooky things, um, basements, yeah. um, campfires, um, even just like instead of being at the table, sitting on the floor sort of creates this feeling of like being like children telling spooky sco- stories that I think can be really effective that way. Oh man, I I just pictured like covering your dining room table with a big sheet and playing oh, underneath man. the table. This sounds perfect. Blanket this is exactly what game. I want. Oh, that would be oh, can can you imagine how spooky that would be not knowing, not being able to see beyond the sheet? Oh, but oh, like you're, you're in a this bunch of big flashlights or lanterns underneath. Yes. But you like put the candles like outside of your table tent thing too, so like that it's casting shadows and stuff outside. Oh, of that, it. Would, that would be the worst oh, if I you have it. pets, like cats walking around <laughs> well, okay, and then so, like, the shadows. Be safe, Ryan. I'm, I'm talking about like the shadows on the on oh. the sheets, not your cat starting on fire. Because that. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, be safe. Put your yes, candles inside lanterns, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Um, burn your candles responsibly. The other thing that I think could be helpful is like props. I mean, I mentioned flashlights just now, um, but I think even like again, I think about dread. I think about how having that the physical thing to represent the scariness, mm-hmm. like the Jenga tower, can be really helpful. But also like having a have like as a player having a prop that like maybe your character's a photographer and having a camera, or you know, just having something physical to ground yourself. I think could be like a really fun way of heightening that that aura and that ambiance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it keeps you more connected to what's happening mm-hmm. in the game too, which um, I think anything that sort of prevents distraction in a situation like this where you're trying to build tension is going to help. Yeah. So you've had a good session zero. You've talked about your safety tools. 
you're in a spooky basement with your candles and your pets are doing fine. <laughs> no one's um, on fire. No one's on fire. Um, we mostly focus on the player side of things here, but I think it would help to give some context uh, for our player advice to know kind of how the GM is putting things together. Um, so what sorts of tools do you as a GM use to kind of provide some of that horror in a game? Yeah, um, I think for me the major thing is that horror, there's such a wealth of things to draw on. There's such a there's such an incredible vocabulary of horror, like visual vocabulary, you know, thinking about storms, thinking about dark woods, thinking about um, abandoned houses, thinking mm. about creepy basements, bathrooms where the lights are flickering. There's so many, like... Just there's so many tools in your arsenal to draw on that sort of immediately set that mood. Um, that's a it's a great starting place for trying to figure out how to get people into the right sort of of mindset for being scared. Um, I think especially bringing in all of your senses. Not only what are you seeing, but what are you hearing? Are there wolves howling in the distance? Is the wind you know um, creaking through the slightly open door i lost i lost myself on that one um <laughs> does it smell like rot does it smell like blood does it you know is it cold thinking about sort of all of those sensory experiences i think is always a really great because horror is a genre that i think more than most others is so embodied mm-hmm. it's so much about being in your body and and the feeling of adrenaline rushing and your heart pounding and and getting sort of all the senses involved in that really heightens and sort of sets the body up for experiencing fear. Um, I think that that improv is huge for me in horror. Um, I started out as a GM who liked to know what was happening, and I very quickly realized that games are much better when the GM does not always know what's happening. <laughs> um but especially with this, because players will flag their interest and flag their fear, um, and and it helps to be able to play into that when they're doing that. Mm-hmm. If if you know, they say, "Well, I don't want to go into the creepy basement," then it, your whole thing shouldn't be prepared to start in the creepy basement. But also, when <laughs> uh, you know. Um, when a player indicates that something they're afraid of might be lurking behind that door, whether or not it's there, being able to play into that anticipation is huge. And then mm-hmm. even if it wasn't meant to be there, being able to put it there or put it somewhere else that they don't expect can again can be like a really, really good tool. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, dramatic irony is probably my favorite thing to use. I love especially in horror characters who are in different rooms in different scenes and, you know, two people are having an intense conversation about their emotions on the porch and they don't realize that, like, 20 feet behind them in the room, someone else is being attacked is, like, <laughs> one of the greatest. Especially if you've got players who can buy into, like, accept the fact that they that their character doesn't know everything the player knows. Mm-hmm. Um, having Having those separate conversations inform each other and having the player knowledge that of something the character doesn't know inform the way they're playing the character mm-hmm. um, or not playing the character um, I is great. Um, and then just one other thing that I, I definitely want to flag um, is the use of, of humor in horror. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because horror is so tense, I think the best horror movies and shows and, and you know, things like that, and also games, um, use horror, I mean, use humor really well, sort of paired alongside fear. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to break the tension can be a really important part of horror. Um, if If we're scared the entire time, it's like running a marathon. Yeah. And it's not going to be as effective as the tension breaking and everyone calming down and feeling safe and then something startling them again. Um, I think when I think of of great moments in horror, they're often the funny ones. I think about um, have either of you seen Us, Jordan Peele's most recent horror film? I haven't. No, I've heard I haven't. it's so good. Okay. There's a, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase the line because... I know we're a family-friendly show, yes. but there's a scene where a character is being attacked, um, is be about to be killed, um, and she shouts to her, um, they call it Ophelia, but it's basically an Alexa device. Um, she shouts, Ophelia, call the police. Uh, and the the um, smart device says, okay, playing F the police, and starts playing the song because it's misunderstood her. And it the, when I was in the movie theater, everyone started laughing. And then something scary happens, and it's scarier mm-hmm. because we've had that moment of relief. Um, I think about characters who sort of function as that tension-breaking comic relief. I think about Richie Tozier from It, or I think about Marty from Cabin in the Woods, are some of the most memorable characters in horror for that mm-hmm. exact reason. Um, and and I think that you need the relief to balance out the adrenaline. Yeah, it's like uh, a bunch of peaks and valleys. Mm-hmm. Like slowly working your way up to higher and higher peaks and like a little bit higher valleys as well. Yeah. So it's not as releasing of the tension over time mm-hmm. until you get to that really big climactic moment when everybody's just, you know, scared out of their pants, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But that juxtaposition, I think, is really is really important of like, OK, we're here. We're like down here and we're chill. And then it feels like so much more sudden when it does happen. And mm-hmm. that- like that moment of horror kind of hits you out of nowhere because you were like lulls into your false sense of security. Mm-hmm. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I also, uh, when I was kind of doing some research for this, um, I was seeing talk about um, like actual character harm versus the looming threat of character harm and how, um, actually harming the player characters in the game is quote unquote less scary Mm -hmm. than the threat of potential harm coming at any moment. Yeah. Because if, if you make that harm quantifiable, it's now a mechanic and not something super spooky and psychological. I hadn't thought about it that way, but I think that's absolutely true. I think it's one thing to, to stop the game and say, oh, okay, let me mark off two harm out of the eight boxes that I have here. Yeah. Um, rather than that sort of visceral, when a character gets hurt in a horror movie, it's hard to tell how badly they're getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Is that going to be a deathly wound? Is that going to like stop them from being able to do something important later? Yeah. Is this person getting an ax to her arm? Like, how bad is that? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other types of harm that I think we don't think of as harm when we usually play RPGs that I think can be really effective is not not to be like, but like psychological harm or emotional mm-hmm. harm, putting characters in situations where their their body is not the one at risk, but someone mm-hmm. they care about 
or in a situation where they have to make a decision and the the mental harm that that decision is going to have on them. Um, I think about the scene in the game Until Dawn um, where one of the characters is is given a gun and told that or uh, given a lever and he's told that that this saw blade will either cut his the girl he has a crush on in half or his best friend and he has to do something with that lever that Mm. is scarier than the monster bites you in the arm take three harm Mm -hmm. i also think about just i mean i i have always loved games that play kind of with that moral gray area and sort of that feeling of like there is no good decision that's that's an area that I really like to explore in games that can is um, not necessarily singular to horror, but like has that feeling of like tension and anxiety. But I also think about me as a person. And one of the things that gives me the most anxiety is the unknown, right? It's, yeah. it's not knowing what's going to happen and not being able to prepare for it or understand it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think that that translates really well into games because I, I think that that's a thing that a lot of people get kind of tense about is like not knowing what's coming. Yeah. Um, you know, it's why like, jump scares and like ew, like that music that sort of like builds the tension to yeah. like something's coming but I don't know what it is and like those kinds of things are really scary. Yeah. yeah. I think that that sort of those trope like setups for moments like that where you know something is coming but you don't know what is one of the best things. I think about you get that shot in the movie where a character's looking in the mirror and then you get a shot of their face and then you know that the next thing is going to be another shot of the mirror and there's going to be something behind them but you don't know what the something is mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. that kind of thing again it's that like ramping up of the adrenaline you know something's going to be there mm-hmm. um, and i think that again i think that trope i think that you have to love tropes to play a good horror <laughs> game i think you have to be super willing to play into to tropes Um, sometimes to the point of cliche, but sometimes to the point of like, they're a common language that helps us all get on the same page. Mm -hmm. Um, especially I think a lot about space in these kind of games. I think even, you know, in, in a fantasy game, the dungeon space or the tavern space becomes really important in a sci-fi game, the space of the spaceship or the, the space station becomes important. But I think that space is, there's a way in which like the architecture of a space works on the body as this sort of affective archive. You you walk into a space in real life or you imagine walking into a space in a game and you feel things based on your experience with that space or hearing stories about that space. Again, the dark hallway or the, the bathroom with the flickering light or the city street at nighttime. Um, these are like spaces that already prime us to feel certain things um, and I think that, that again, with the idea of expectation, when you walk into a space like that, you expect to be scared. And so you're ready to be scared. So I think there can be a lot of fun playing with when to like, um, when to reward that, um, or when to play into that and like give the player what they're expecting or just off what they're expecting. Mm-hmm. And then also when to subvert it, when that creepy basement is just totally empty, but the scary thing is actually in the like pleasantly lit, well-decorated kitchen upstairs. Mm-hmm. And I think playing with expectations that way is like one of the best ways of doing horror. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I really love the like having the the big threat um, or whatever it is that's that's 
causing most of the horror in these games be very unseen until mm -hmm. later on in the session or later on in the campaign. And you just see kind of the, uh, the effects that it has on the world. Yeah. Like, oh, well, we're in this forest and now there's all these animals that are dead everywhere and we don't know what caused it. And then half an hour later, you hear noises that shouldn't be in a forest. And now you're like, oh, we're in the forest where all those animals were. And now we're hearing this noise. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of stuff is just amazing to lean into um, when you're when you're playing in these sorts of games. Mm -hmm. I think one of my while we're just like talking about all of these tropes, I think one of my favorite ones is things that are just ever so slightly off. Mm -hmm. Like, yes. Things that are like, they're just so close to what they should be, but they're not. Mm -hmm. And, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Uh -huh. Love it. That's amazing. So what sorts of things can we do then as players to add to the suspense and horror instead of just letting the, the GM, for lack of a better word, uh, direct the horror? This is an excellent question, and I think it's a really important one um, because, again, the buy-in on all parts is, like, necessary. You cannot, mm -hmm. like, you cannot be impassive and expect someone else to scare you. It's like having the hiccups and knowing that someone's going to try to scare you. It never works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think the, the number one thing is like being willing to put your character in risky, dangerous situations, letting them do like the dumb thing. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, if there's like a creepy staircase that leads down into a cellar, you as a genre aware human being who has probably seen a horror movie, no, no world should you ever go down there, ever. <laughs> you absolutely Don't you hear the music? split up uh -huh. with your friends. Of course you can't have sex in the woods. Like, why would you do that? Yeah. But your character has to do those things. <laughs> if you're trying to play smart, you can't play into, like you can't be afraid if you're trying to outsmart the GM or the monster or, right. you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the mystery of the setting. Well, not to say that you can't, but it's, it's going to be a lot more difficult. Yes. At that point, you're being contrary. And that's yep. not fun right. for the GM, who's also a player and probably, you know, ideally someone you also want to be having fun. <laughs> um, I think a lot about knowing what your character would put themselves into a risky situation for and being upfront about that. If your character has a boyfriend that he he really loves, and if that boyfriend's put in danger, you're going to jump into danger. Like, flag that. Make sure that the other people at the table know, mm -hmm. whether that's just through the way that you interact with that other character or when it's what, or whether it's just flat out being like, this is a relationship that is that could be leveraged against my character. Mm -hmm. um, knowing what your character's sort of tragic flaws are, um, is it hubris? Is it cowardice? Is it selfishness? Um, and, and how does it haunt them? Thinking about, you know, if, if you, your character's flaw is, if your character's flaw is hubris, they're going to jump in because they they think they're the person who can save the day. If mm -hmm. your character's flaw is cowardice, maybe they want to stay in the safety of the cabin while everyone else explores the noise in the woods, but then maybe the horrifying thing is still in the cabin. Oh, no. If your character's flaw is selfishness, maybe they put someone else in danger to save themselves, and maybe that comes back to haunt them because the character who died because they were being selfish 
comes back and attack or, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So being upfront with that and knowing it yourself and also like articulating it, whether through action or through just saying it is a great way to like cue to the to the GM. Like, here's the the thing that you can do to put Mm -hmm. my character in peril. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, these are the buttons you can push. exactly. These are these are the tools I'm giving you for your toolkit. Um, I think another another big thing in addition to that is like not just being honest with everybody at the table about those kinds of things, but also being honest with yourself about about why you're there, about the fact that you're there to be scared, and like respecting your own embodied reactions to to play. Um, you're the only buddy, you're the only person who can tell if you're scared. Mm -hmm. Um, and you have to learn how to recognize, I mean, most of the time we think like, oh, I know when I'm scared, but like being able to pick up on like, oh, my heart's racing now or, or, or like physically grimace reactions. Like Mm -hmm. when, when the GM describes something, you go, Ooh, like that, like indulging those physical reactions will help in a lot of ways because on one hand again it flags to the gm that what they're doing is working yeah on another note those reactions can be kind of contagious when someone Mm -hmm. when you're in a horror movie and there's a jump scare and someone else screams like that cues to everyone else it it gives everyone a sense of companionship in their fear that can be used to help heighten that fear Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. So I think that's a part of it as well, is like not only knowing what your character, like what can your character do to be afraid to be put in dangerous situations, to be in peril, but also knowing what things are affecting you um, and not just letting it scare you, but like acknowledging it's so it's I feel like it goes back to like a concept that we talk about in therapy all the time because you guys go to a lot of therapy, um, but it's just like sitting with your discomfort mm-hmm. and just letting yourself like recognizing that you are uncomfortable and then just letting yourself be that mm-hmm. for a while, like not trying to um, downplay it or pretend that you aren't or, you know, so like those physical yeah. things like, you know, like leaning forward or like, I know for me, like my shoulders will get tight or mm-hmm. in any of those kinds of physical signs that you have and just like letting yourself feel those things, recognizing that like that's part of what you are there to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the other thing is I think a lot about the difference between going to a haunted house and like an attraction, a haunted house, and going to a haunted house with friends. Yeah. And how the presence of other people in the room with you changes the way you experience fear mm-hmm. because it gives you an excuse to perform that fear. Mm. Um, when you're alone and something startles you, you often won't scream. But if you're with friends and something startles you, you'll probably scream. Mm. Um you'll probably play up, oh my god, I'm so scared, or grabbing onto your friend's arm as you guys walk through like a creepy dark hallway. Um, and I think that playing RPGs with people that are about that can can bring that out as well. And I think embracing the, the, the way that your fear manifests differently in the presence of other people is another good way of sort of thinking about that and approaching that. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. And I, I love the, the thought of, um, like using that meta knowledge of the, the horror genre, the horror tropes and, uh, just kind of at a meta level, what you're kind of supposed to expect mm-hmm. in the, the adventure that you're going through and kind of forcing your character down the bad paths. Yeah. Is, is such a like a key thing to playing in a horror game, especially because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, meta knowledge, that's not the greatest thing. But if you're playing with the meta knowledge of like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go into that creepy basement because it's going to be creepy, mm-hmm. you know, just do it, even yeah. though it's not logical, just do it. I think that's a thing, though, that we kind of have to do in all games in certain ways, mm-hmm. because... If you stay home, nothing happens. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So, like, <laughs> even when you're going out to, you know, go on your D&D dungeon crawl adventure, like, you have to leave home. You have to go do the thing. Nothing happens if you don't do. Mm-hmm. And so, in horror, it's... The thing that you're doing is never really, like, the good choice, but you have to do it or a game won't happen. And recognizing that, like, you have to buy into Mm -hmm. it, even if you know it's a bad decision, um, you got to make a decision. I I would even argue that doing nothing in a horror game is inviting bad things to happen. Also bad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, people don't go into the house because nothing, you know, like nothing's going on outside. Like, yeah, no, I'm just gonna wait on here by the car. You guys go into the haunted house. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's something that bad is gonna happen at that car, guaranteed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it it comes back to this idea of like, y- you just can't be trying to outsmart anything, and it's again that idea of like. Like, you can't be trying to win. You can't be trying to make your character look like the coolest or the smartest or, like, th- be the one that lives. Like, genre awareness can be a really good, again, like, tropes, a really good tool if you're using it the right way. But it can also be a trap. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you're, if you have the the wrong intentions, then using your, your meta knowledge and your genre awareness can Put it in a position where you're stopping other people from having fun, whether that's the other players or whether that's the GM who is now trying to put your character in a situation that you keep trying to outsmart them out of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't be that Yeah, guy. it's just <laughs> yeah. a matter of investment. If you want to be scared, let your character do the scary thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds and... like it should be that easy, but sometimes it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> it is, especially when you're used to playing games to win. Mm-hmm. You're playing games to figure out the puzzle, figure out the traps, and outsmart the the GM's, you know, like, intricate plot and everything like that so you can survive and your friends can survive and, yeah. and you can get the treasure at the end. Whereas the treasure in this game is to be scared. And if you're not playing with everybody, if you're playing against anybody... <laughs> then you're kind of ruining it for at least one person. Yeah. It's yourself. (laughs) (laughs) That too. (laughs) It it brings me back to the driving your characters like stolen cars kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. We're like, your your character can still be precious to you and also die. Like you can love your character to pieces and also not demand that they have a happy ending. You can be invested in your character and not be like, well, I can't go down the spooky hallway because my character, I don't want my character to die. Like, right. it's horror. You're, some of the characters got to die. 
It's not very good <laughs> horror if nobody dies. Maybe that's not entirely true, but... <laughs> Yeah, if bad things don't happen, or there isn't even the chance of them happening, yeah. um, you you haven't bought in, yeah. and I think that's really what this most of the genre comes down to is that you have to buy in. You yeah. have to mm-hmm. you have to know what you're there for and let yourself be there for yeah. it. Yeah, I, I would say that horror uh, more than any other genre, uh, suspending your disbelief is key mm-hmm. to getting that to that feeling of uh, uncomfortable goodness. Yeah uncomfortable goodness (laughs) should put that on my business cards (laughs) yes yes please (laughs) um another thing that i want to talk about too that kind of goes along with that buy-in is uh, letting yourself kind of maintain some of that tension and not constantly trying to diffuse the situation Mm -hmm. we've we talked a little bit about needing those moments of levity to kind of balance things out and to um make that contrast more stark but i think you have to allow yourself like i said before too to sit with that discomfort Mm -hmm. a little bit and let yourself um kind of be present in that horror that's one of the reasons that a game like dread works really well is because you constantly have that tower in front of you sort of simulating that tension Mm -hmm. yeah right like that constant worry about knocking it over translates a little bit into some of your own personal anxiety about the story um but letting yourself feel those things and be present in that without constantly trying to break it up with a joke, which is the natural response for a lot of us. I think when something is tense or dark or unhappy, there's, Mm -hmm. there's a tendency to kind of change that, but to um, kind of remind yourself that this is not the time or place for that. I think it can be a matter of just checking your impulses that way. Do I feel the impulse to make a joke here because we need to break this tension or is it because I've hit a level of, of discomfort that is actually productive and interesting here. And should I should I resist the urge and dwell in this discomfort? Or and I think that can also be a matter of reading the other players at the table. If yeah. everyone is is so like if we've all been uncomfortable for a while, maybe it's time to break the tension and maybe that impulse is right. But if things are just starting to ramp up, you know, you don't want to cut the GM off every you know, 30 seconds with another joke because things are starting to get intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's one of the situations that I think is is hard to feel out and probably does get a little bit easier the more of these kinds of games that you play. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there really is a right answer yeah. necessarily for when is a good time to do that. You kind of just have to feel it out. But it's it's more of a, a thing to kind of be aware of. Like I said, that's your natural reaction to those kinds of things is to try and ease that, um, but to just consider whether whether now is the time. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's definitely something that was a learning process for us on season one of Unexplored Places was at the beginning, everyone's jumping in with jokes and it's it's really hard to build up that tension and to let that tension ramp up. Mm -hmm. But that is the natural reaction. And then as we kept going and sort of figured out, figured out how much it was breaking that tension, we all got a lot better about finding the right moments to insert humor and break tension rather mm-hmm. than just doing it every time we thought of a funny joke to break the tension. Mm-hmm. Another question that I want to ask here, because um, I think this does apply a lot to some of the concepts that we've talked about. Do you think that there's a big difference in the way we approach things as a GM or a player in a one shot versus a campaign? Absolutely. I think there's a huge difference. And I think it's primarily, and again, this is going to sound a little obvious, but primarily a matter of pacing um, Mm. and a matter of intensity. Um, 
when you think about a horror TV show, the big bad doesn't show up in the first episode. Again, it's that idea of like, there are hints, you know, all of the animals in the woods are dead. Weird things are happening. And that builds up. But in a one shot, you really want to get in there. I wouldn't say as quick as you can, but pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the like minute 10, they should be finding the haunted artifact and reading the Latin that's going to summon the demon that's going to kill them. Or, mm-hmm. you know, the ghost should be appearing. Um like the the quicker you get in there for a one shot, the more room there is to explore what happens once the monster's there, once the horror's there. Um, whereas that slow build with a campaign, you you know you don't want to reveal your hand too quickly mm-hmm. because once you hit that peak, there's nowhere to go. So it's it's you know you have to slowly work your way up to the scariest moment so that you can keep getting scarier. Yeah. Do you think that that I would think then in that case, a one shot would present a particular difficulty because you don't have time to build up that tension the way that you do in a campaign. You can play like one or two sessions of just like things kind of feeling off before you reveal like what's really going on. Whereas in a one shot, I don't think I don't know if you have the time to really like ramp things up. Like, are you just I think it's a matter of of scope. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. I'm trying to puzzle through this. I think um, it, there's a ramp up, but each step is um, not exponential, but each step is is taller for imagining a staircase. Um, you know, you're ramping it up little, 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 little in a campaign, whereas you're still ramping it up in a one shot, but they're much larger steps. Yeah. Um, it mm-hmm. goes from someone hears a weird noise outside. Someone sees a creepy shadow in the mirror behind them. Something breaks a window rather than like there are rumors that animals have been turning up dead. And then like, oh, someone found like an animal corpse or I, this not a, I don't know where this example is going. So it was not the right <laughs> choice yeah. of example. No, I totally get yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. You have like multiple steps to each mm-hmm scary thing rather than having the scary thing itself you're kind of getting to that that final level of like at at the peak of the horror in the adventure um at different times because in a campaign it ramps up slower Mm -hmm. but it's kind of uh if you look at the the differences between the peaks and valleys um it probably is all kind of like a averages out to a straight line toward the top In both mm-hmm. a uh, a one shot and a campaign, it's just the 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 angle of that steep line yeah. is much mm-hmm. higher, it's a steeper staircase, much steeper in a one shot for sure. It's like you took the same graph and you just skewed it two wildly different ways on Photoshop. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> one is very very tall. One is very very long. Mm-hmm. Although. I, I've been uh, watching Stranger Things for the first time. Ooh, very um, fun. Within the past so few behind. weeks or so. I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Look, and, I, I always envy people the opportunity to watch a thing I loved for the first time. Uh-huh. Because I, w- I oh, always yeah, wish absolutely. I could have. So I'm glad. Please enjoy yeah. it for me. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. I will never watch it for the first time again. So. I know. Oh, no. <laughs> it's so sad. <laughs> 
Um, so it reminded me, like, um, minor spoilers for season two for anybody that's listening um, that hasn't seen it yet. Uh, they kind of reveal the big bad in, the, I think, the first episode of season two. And it's just yeah, like I thought a, the pacing just, of that season was like not. It good. was, it was a little bit, but it it still worked for me. Um, because I I'm really big into like the eldritch sort of horror sort of thing. <laughs> so <laughs> getting like this like far away glimpse of this thing, this gigantic thing, and then not being able to interact with it until much later on, uh, was creepy as heck. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Yeah. Like, and, and I, and there's something to be said about like, yeah, you can see the big bad in the first, uh, episode of your mm-hmm. campaign effectively, as long as it's not like an ever present threat. Yeah. You don't want to be fighting yeah. the big bad in the first right. episode. <laughs> if, if they had tried a, to fight it at that there, point, yeah. that would have been. You get a glimpse of it and knowing it's there. Yeah. yeah. It's, I can imagine that being, especially if it's only one character. And now that character has to interact with everybody else, knowing that this thing is out there and everybody that doesn't believe them. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to, oh, I was going to say something, but I don't want to, I don't want to spoil season three for you. So I won't. Oh, uh, thank you. We're, we're halfway through that one. Yeah. <laughs> that one's good. I like season I three. I do too. Yeah. All right. Um, is there then anything else or any final advice that you want to add about playing in a spooky game or a horror game before we finish today's discussion? Oof. Um, I mean, I have a million and one things to say about horror, <laughs> generally speaking, <laughs> which is why I'm doing a PhD on it. So I don't want to like sit here and lecture on the genre or anything like that. Um, but I'm trying to think if there's anything I really wanted to flag in this discussion that I missed. Um, I don't know that there is. I think we kind of hit on everything. Um, good job. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Well moderated discussion. Thank you. All. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I just think like being scared is, is fun. Being in control of being scared, being scared in a controlled situation is, I think the best feeling in the world. Um, and I think that, that gameplay is such a fun interactive way to do that. That can often be even more rewarding than just watching a horror movie. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I love scary games. Um, I guess the only thing that, that we didn't, that didn't come up with was the issue of character control. Mm -hmm. A lot of games, Mm, horror games, have sanity mechanics or things that cede control of the character to the GM from the player. Mm -hmm. Um, And I dislike those personally. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So just, I guess just like a thing to be conscious of if you're running a game is like, making sure to give the players full agency of their characters. Mm -hmm. And then as a player, Making sure to use that agency wisely. There should be times when your character is too afraid to move, and the GM shouldn't have to take your character from you to enable those to happen. Yeah. You can let those happen. If something, if your character's worst fear is right in front of them, it is like a totally valid move for you to make to say, like, I can't do anything. I'm mm-hmm. frozen to the spot. Yeah. Um, and sometimes those can be the best moments that come up in play like this. Mm hmm. I, I have seen, uh, I believe, a couple games that handle the the quote unquote mind control thing um, well, and it's always a matter of the player gets to choose that from a list of consequences. Mm-hmm. They yeah. have the agency to say, okay, in this situation, this this makes sense narratively, and I'm going to trust you with this. Yeah, I like that a lot because it's again, it can be a really useful 
it, it can be interesting sometimes mm-hmm. to give the GM control of your character for yeah. whatever reason, but it shouldn't be the default. It should exactly. it should be a choice as much as anything else is. And it, sh- you it don't shouldn't lose be luck agency. based. And it definitely shouldn't be luck based. That is <laughs> no. very true. Roll a D20 and neither and... should mental illness. <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> Looking at you, Palladium. Looking at you every Cthulhu-related game ever. Oh, yes, that's true, too. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think there's something to be said for it almost feels like you have more agency when it is your choice to hand those things over. Mm -hmm. Like, you are saying, I am okay with this. I will allow this. Yes. Um, And, you know, don't... A thing that I want to reiterate about this genre as a whole is uh, don't feel compelled to do anything that you don't want to do, either. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we talked about that difference between... Being scared and being uncomfortable. And um, I think that's a really important thing to sort of understand about yourself and to um, just vocalize for yourself. Like, I, I think playing these kinds of games is definitely worth a try. And I, for one, love games that are very complicated and messy and allow us to explore emotions and situations that we can't in real life in a safe space. Um, but part of being in that safe space is advocating for yourself. And so I think that that's really important yeah. to do and to make sure that you're playing with people who will respect those lines for you. Mm. Absolutely. But we say that like every episode. So. <laughs> well, it's important. So it's, very it's my important. hill to die on. It's a good hill I to have die several on. several hills and I will die on all of them. <laughs> I have so many hills. It's a wonder I'm not dead yet. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us. We really, really appreciate this. Of course. Thank you guys again for having me. This was amazing. Do you want to remind everybody where they can find you and your projects? Of course. You can find me on Twitter at CPrevas, P-R-E-V-A-S. You can find the games that I've designed uh, at itch.io slash CPrevas. Currently, for the month of October... All of my spooky horror games are on sale in a bundle for $6.66. So pick those up before the end of Halloween if you have the chance. Um, I think they're very good. Uh, and then you can find my podcast, The Unexplored Places, at UnexploredCast. And our Patreon at patreon.com slash UnexploredCast. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And thank you so much to everyone for listening. Uh, definitely check out Unexplored Places for some really great actual play. And also tune in next week where we start diving into character creation for yet another game that we are both really excited about covering. Character Evolution Cast, like Character Creation Cast, is a production of the One Shot Podcast Network and can be found online at www.charactercreationcast.com. Head to the website to get more information on our hosts and guests, or even find some of our character sheets. Character Creation Cast can be found on Twitter, at CreationCast. I'm one of your hosts, Amelia Antrim, and I can be found on Twitter, at GingerReckoning. Our other host, Ryan Bolter, can be found on Twitter, at LordNeptune. Music for this episode is used with a Creative Commons license or with permission from the podcast it originated from. Further information can be found within the show notes. This episode was edited by Amelia Antrim. Further information for today's guest can also be found in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. And remember, we find that the best part of any role-playing game is character creation. So go out there and create some amazing people. We'll see you next time.
read some show blurbs. Show blurbs. Show blurbs. Show blurbs. Show blurbs. Character Creation Cast is hosted by the One Shot Podcast Network. If you enjoyed our show, visit OneShotPodcast.com, where you'll find other great shows like A Woman with Hollow Eyes. A Woman with Hollow Eyes is a podcast adaptation of One Shot's live-streamed dramatic Invisible Sun actual play. Discover a world of magic, secrets, and supernatural civic disputes in our unique take on Saturine. In the first season, James D'Amato, Cat Cool, and SNL writer Alan Linnick are led on a mind-bending adventure by GM Darcy Ross. Even if you already saw the streams, you want to listen to this podcast for the incredible soundtrack composed and edited by Will Levendahl. Get it by searching for A Woman with Hollow Eyes or Darcy Ross on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app.